many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Why, hello, superhumans. It's Boomer Anderson here. Now, before we get started, have you ever met somebody and just know that you're going to have a good, long-lasting friendship? I'm going to leave that question with you because it happened to me with today's podcast guest. As always, I want to bring on experts to really talk to you about what's going on in all aspects of the health world, whether that be technology, quantified self, the latest in testing, etc., etc., And today we're going to delve a little bit more into that technology aspect of it. My guest today is Garrett Salpeter. And Garrett's known as the health engineer because he's taken his education in physics and engineering and applied it into a system for making the human body better. Garrett and I share a mutual love for ice hockey and both of us unfortunately didn't make it to the NHL. We both transitioned into a world of strength and conditioning. However, he kind of took it to a next level. After some injury problems, Garrett learned about the paramount importance of the nervous system and saw the connections of how the same neurological principles could be applied back to fitness. This neurological approach worked and he never looked back. In 2009, Garrett opened his first facility in Austin, Texas to start sharing his new methods with the community. This has grown into what is now known as NuFit. That's N-E-U-F-I-T. And their website, by the way, is N-E-U.F-I-T. Garrett has worked with people of all ages and almost all situations, including athletes from Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NHL, UFC, Olympics, NCAA Divisions 1, 2, and 3, and so much more. He helps them get out of pain, improve performance, and sometimes avoid surgeries. Garrett is an absolute wealth of information, which is why I enjoyed this conversation so much. In this conversation, we talk about how Garrett accomplished what effectively no chiropractor could do in three months by fixing my quad and back at the Paleo FX conference in Austin, Texas. We talk about his device, the Newbie, that's N-E-U-B-I-E, and how Garrett conceptualized this. One of my favorite aspects of this is how far we get into the science, and we delve into the science behind using electrical currents to stimulate responses in the body, and why the newbie is a much, much more upgraded version of an old Soviet strength training device. There's a lot more in this podcast, including Garrett's top 10 resources for learning about this and neurological stimulation to enhance fitness and health in more depth. The show notes for this one can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com slash newfit, that's N-E-U-F-I-T, and you can learn more about Garrett at newfit's website, that's N-E-U dot F-I-T, or on Instagram at newfitrfp, that's N-E-U-F-I-T-R-F-P. But wait, before we begin the podcast... I need to give a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Butcher Box. That's B-U-T-C-H-E-R-B-O-X. And Butcher Box is possibly one of my favorite ways to solve a common problem when traveling to the United States. If you live within the 48 contiguous United States, you can get fresh, 100% grass-fed beef and healthy cut meats delivered to your door. Now, why is that valuable? Well, we know that farming in the United States is somewhat dodgy. I used to go to a school where I would pass by the agriculture school very often, and you can see this firsthand. Yes, science is great in some areas, but sometimes you just want a good 100% grass-fed, grass-finished steak. And ButcherBox does that for you. It gets delivered to your door. And what if you actually wanted to try this firsthand? What if you actually just want to get good meat, good fatty acid ratios, so that you can perform more excellently. You can go to butcherbox.com slash boomer, B-O-O-M-E-R, and you can claim free bacon and $10 off your first order. This is only available to my American listeners. I apologize, European friends. We'll get more for you in the coming episodes. Enjoy the episode with my friend, Garrett Salpeter. Garrett, my man, welcome to the show. Thank you, Boomer. I'm excited to be here. I was just thinking about the first time I met you, which was in Austin, 
and I was in so much pain post a powerlifting competition. And one of your guys, a gentleman whose name escapes me right now, <laughs> fixed me up with your device. And so I normally don't have sort of the technology specialist on the show, but I wanted to have you on because your device did a world of good for me. So thank you. So glad you got to experience it. And it was a chance encounter. It was Dan and Micra that introduced us, right? Absolutely. So that's yeah. Dan and Micra and Dan's been on the show before. Just before we get started on that, because you and I have some mutual connections going way back, at least to cities. Uh, so Chicago and ice hockey of all sports. What got you so interested in ice hockey? Because you wanted to play at a pretty high level, right? I did. You know, it really started for me as a, as a five-year-old kid when I went and saw the Chicago Blackhawks play. And my dad had always, you know, been a hockey fan and he took me to a game and I just, I fell in love with it. I ended up being a few years before I got to play. You know, I played street hockey, but I didn't actually start skating until I was eight or nine. And when that happened, I, I, you know, fell in love with it again at a deeper level. And just wanted to play whenever I could. And it ended up being, you know, really an all-consuming passion and, and kind of part of my identity as well. Yeah, I, I can relate to the the Blackhawks growing up bit, at least. That's for sure. Chris Chelios, Jeremy Roenick, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Way back in the day. <laughs> now, I have to ask, before we get into the, the real purpose of the show, which is talking about your invention, how does one go from ice hockey to engineering to... I, I guess, designing or health engineering, really. Ice hockey was a catalyst for me to ultimately be doing the things that, that I want to do now. And it's, it's interesting because my career certainly didn't end up the way that I once hoped that it would, but it led me down a road to where I, I got to find the things that I'm now passionate about to where I really feel like I'm fulfilling my mission so I'm very grateful for my experiences. And it started with a few years after I started playing hockey when I, when I started to realize, gosh, if I want to go you know, make the next travel team and be at the levels I want to be at, I really need to upgrade myself as an athlete because I want to be able to play with these other guys who are a lot better than me and I don't have the athleticism and I just can't keep up with them. And so you know, when I was 12 and 13, I started really getting interested in training and strength and conditioning as a means to trying to upgrade myself as an athlete. And the more I got into it, you know, through my teenage years, I got very interested in, in the body, got very interested in physiology because, uh, you know, again, it was kind of a means to an end for me. And as I went through, you know, I trained at some of these top of the line facilities in the Chicago area. And I also was very frustrated with the results that I was not getting there. I was doing the things that were supposed to helped me become a better athlete. And I ended up doing a lot of training that, that certainly improved my endurance, but it never made me faster or actually more powerful. And I learned later on that that's, that's what I was working on. You know, I was doing a lot of interval training. And instead of focusing neurologically on the quality of what I was doing and the power output and the speed, it was more just kind of grinding through, building mental toughness, building endurance. And so I could go all day long, but I still could never work at a high enough level to to really go where I wanted to go in the sport. I was a student athlete, so in parallel, I had been a good student. I went to a you know pretty good kind of preparatory school in the Chicago area for high school, did well. I ended up selecting a college based on a place where I thought I might have a chance to play. So it was a Division three school that was also a very good academic school. And I ended up majoring in physics because I also really liked physics. I liked the fact that it allowed me to explain things I was seeing in the world from first principles. You know, I, we could explain why things move in a certain direction, why the sky is blue, why, why things happen. And I loved that, that ability to explain things from first principles. And it's interesting that I started to, to look at life from that perspective because my experiences that I then had as I had some injuries and was dealing with different things that you know, happened to me during my time playing hockey, I was very disenfranchised and very frustrated with what I was told in the traditional orthopedic and physical therapy worlds, because I'm trying to think of things from first principles, bringing that perspective. And they're telling me that, you know, I need to take Advil, I need to rest, <laughs> I might need surgery or injections. You know, I'm looking at that thinking like, gosh, one, I have to believe that with the miraculous power of human beings, there's got to be a, a better way. There's got to be more to us than, than that, you know, more ability to heal, more ability to recover from trauma and injury and adapt and change and improve and evolve. 
there's just got to be a better answer. I didn't know the words for how to describe what that answer would be at the time, but I, I was very disenfranchised and frustrated with, with what I was told in that world. And that kind of set the stage for me to start, you know, moving in the direction of where I am now. I ended up being a physics major in college. I was doing pre-engineering and intending to go to engineering school because I like problem solving. I like intellectual pursuits around problem solving, creating, creating solutions, and you know, I enjoy math and logical thinking. And again, the same sort of thing that I thought was, was missing in a lot of my experiences with the traditional rehabilitation world. And so I had an experience my last year. I ended up being a practice squad hockey player. For me, it was an accomplishment, nothing that anyone would certainly would have heard about me or anything, but I ended up being a practice squad player. My last year in college, I had some torn ligaments in my wrist, and I was supposed to have surgery, be out for a few months, and just by, by chance, I met a functional neurologist who was the first one to introduce me to some of these principles, and by working with him from a neurological level, we were able to heal the torn ligaments in my wrist in two and a half weeks. I was able to avoid surgery. And finally, in that experience, I had something that made sense to me from first principles. You know, we talked about how the nervous system controls healing. We talked about how, you know, you needed to have increased blood flow. You needed to have increased protein synthesis. Recovering from an injury was kind of like recovering from a workout. You know, you're repairing some damage, you're replenishing energy stores, those sorts of things. And when I really saw and applied the, the true importance of the nervous system, things accelerated for me in that instance. And then I was able to apply the same sorts of things in my training. And then, you know, when it was almost already too late, I started to see finally the types of results in training myself that I wanted to see all along back when I was, was really trying to make it in hockey. So by that time, you know, I knew I wasn't going to make the NHL and I was set to come down here for engineering school at the University of Texas. And I did that. But because of that experience, my first summer in engineering school, Instead of staying here and doing research like I was supposed to, <laughs> I ended up going and apprenticing with this functional neurologist and learning more from him. And when I, when I spent the summer there and saw what he was doing, I realized, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity because I can take this field that I'm passionate about, but always was kind of frustrated with and felt like I was hitting myself against the wall whenever I tried to pursue anything in that direction. You know, I, I could take something that I was passionate about and maybe actually make a career out of it. So I, I came back, finished my master's in engineering here. And during that time, I made arrangements to open up a facility in 200 square feet in the back of a chiropractor's office. I rented a room from him. And you know, it was a very inauspicious beginning. But I got some older electrical stimulation technology. I had some, some techniques I had learned from this other practitioner and uh, set off and started trying to work with my first people here. And I was, you know, I was like 23 years old or <laughs> at the time and was just very fortunate and very grateful to actually find a few people who would let me work with them. And we started to get some results and started referring their friends. And, you know, eventually 10 years later, it's grown into a, into a real business here in Austin. Along the way, I've studied with other mentors who have been very impactful and influential for me. I actually went back to school for a PhD program in neuroscience. I haven't finished. I'm technically on a leave of absence right now because, you know, we're launching our device and trying to have a family life and, you know, trying to just balance keep... so many things, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I can't do it all, but I'm still very interested in research and, and trying to interface with the academic world as much as I can through that process of going back to school, studying with other people, going to workshops, reading books, trying my theories and hypotheses on other people. A lot of this methodology had evolved. And then in the last few years, I also saw that it was time for the technology to evolve. And so I worked with a couple electrical engineers in town that through our collaboration, we were able to come up with what is now the newbie device. And, you know, it wasn't just invented out of thin air. There's a rich history for electrical stimulation. And so it's truly a case of standing on the shoulders of giants where we were able to improve upon what had come before and what was out there. And thankfully, it's a, a meaningful enough improvement that, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of value. We see here in our facility every day, we see people benefit from it, recovering faster from all sorts of injuries recovering faster from surgeries. We have one woman learning to walk again after being paralyzed for 25 years. We have people here using it for fitness so that in 20 or 30 minutes, 
because of what it does to the workout, how much it intensifies and amplifies the effect of training, you know, they can get their workouts in. So busy executives can train in a much more time efficient way. And for them, it's not so much, you know, they're willing to put forth the effort. It's just the time that becomes a limiting factor. So it's being used here in so many different ways. Now, as of last fall, we have other people around the country using it, other professionals using it in their rehabilitation or fitness businesses. And they're starting to get those results too. So it's cool to see that, you know, what started with this small 200 square foot shop here in Austin and then has evolved along the way and brought in different people like the engineers that helped us create the technology. You know, it's cool to see it evolve and grow and, and start to catch on in, in, in other areas as well. This is really cool garage startup story. I, I, I love it. A couple of questions before we get into the newbie, because I'm curious the types of questions, hypotheses you had when you were working with this functional neurologist and sort of how you took neurology back to first principles. And what were some of the questions that you sort of started with? Because you developed really a new training methodology. Well, not really new, but a more optimal training methodology. What were some of the questions that you started with when you were working with the functional neurologist? That's a, that's a great question. The, the biggest takeaway for me from all of that, I think that's the best place to start, was that it kind of validated for me this sense, you know, in my first experience overcoming my own injury and then in, in learning from him and, and seeing everything that was happening, it validated for me that sense I had but couldn't really find the words to describe, that sense of there is more inside of me, there's more inside of all of us as human beings, the power to heal, the power to improve and adapt and change and live at a higher level in whatever way that that means to me, whatever way that means to you or to the listeners. It really validated that for me because the main premise from which we started working was that the body is capable of more performance, more balance, more range of motion, more speed, more endurance, more movement with less pain. It's just a matter of finding how to tap into that. So it's not adding anything into, but it's tapping into what's already there. And specifically the way to do that I learned is to first understand that the brain's number one priority is survival. One of the things the brain does to ensure survival is to sacrifice performance in the short term because our brain doesn't care if we can jump 40 inches in the air as much as it cares about you know, not getting injured, not tearing up our knee or hurting our back and leaving us vulnerable to be eaten and not live to see tomorrow. And so our brains are constantly limiting us. They don't want us to move too fast or too powerfully because they don't want us to get injured. They don't want us to expend too much energy because they don't want us to, to starve to death if there's a famine tomorrow. Our brains, you know, they, they are constantly trying to get us to do less, do less, do less. We have to find ways to counter that. And there are some ways, and our technology helps tap into that in a very efficient way to teach the brain you know, when it's appropriate to actually allow more to happen, allow the body and its systems to work at a higher level to say, it's okay, you can, you can take off the brakes. And so that was kind of the biggest paradigm shift and takeaway for me that, uh, you know, I remember profoundly and still is kind of my North Star guiding light today. Some of the technologies that immediately come to mind other than your own, uh, which I've had the pleasure of experiencing, but things like TDCS, but how are you able to signal to the, the body, to the brain that it's time to exert maximum force? Do you mind going in a little bit on sort of the neuroscience side and maybe how you're able to create these maximal outcomes? Yeah, for sure. So whether you're talking about healing or you're talking about performance, it's all about getting the body's you know recovery or movement systems, whatever the appropriate system is, getting them working at a higher level. If that level could be higher, but some of that extra power or some of that extra ability is lying in reserve, lying dormant, the brain's not allowing you to access it, we have to find a way to tap into it. And so this is where the difference between our device and traditional electrical stimulation devices really comes into play because traditional electrical stimulation devices are really all about hijacking the motor system. You know, they send a signal to make your muscles contract and make your muscles do something like the electrical equivalent of just going into the gym and doing hundreds of reps month after month after month, year after year after year. You're getting work done in the same way. 
one metaphor that I like to use, or I don't know if it's an analogy or a metaphor, or whatever, uh, is to talk about the example of, you know, if you, boomer, if you are squatting and you shift your weight over to your right side, one thing that we could do, that is what most people would do, is to say, all right, you're shifting over to your right side. Let's have you, as you squat, consciously shift more weight to your left. And if you do that for a few thousand reps, that might become the new normal eventually. And that's what traditional electrical stimulation does. It tries to send an external signal to get your body to do something in a certain way that over time it hopes you'll learn to do. And, you know, that's may seem at the surface level to be a valid construct and it can work. It just, you know, takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Instead of that paradigm, what we're trying to do is send more of a sensory signal. So rather than a motor signal taking over the muscles and causing them to do something, we're actually sending a signal as if movement is taking place. And even if it isn't, as if movement is taking place and seeing how the brain responds to movement. Remember, the body is capable of doing more than it's currently doing. And if we send a signal that movement is happening in a certain area, we're going to be able to tap into where those limitations are actually occurring. As we scan around with the electrode, we're able to find areas where, where there's dysfunction, areas where things are good. We'll start there. When things are good, the brain sees that signal and says, oh, yeah, that's just the bicep being the bicep, the tricep being the tricep. You know, those, those, I'm used to seeing those muscles working that way. No problem there. But if we scan over an area, if we send that signal from an area where some of these governors are present, where the brain is limiting output in that area, then, of course, that same pattern, that same governor, that same influence that the brain has where it's limiting output in that area is going to fight against the signal from the machine. And so it allows us to tap into where those patterns are present. And then once we find them, we can stimulate them. We combine them with different movement protocols that we have. And through that process, we teach the brain to start lifting off that governor, start allowing the person that we're working with to tap into more of that performance or more of that recovery ability, get those systems working at a higher level so they can achieve the results that they want a lot faster. And so going back to that squat, metaphor or analogy instead of saying okay boomer you go squat with a little more weight on your left side 3,000 times until it becomes the new normal instead we can find this dysfunction put electrodes on send the right information to your brain and all of a sudden your brain will actually learn to make a different decision on its own make a better decision and without thinking about it you'll naturally squat in a more balanced way and your coach will look at you and say oh my gosh you just corrected you just changed it and and really in terms of neuroscience, what's happening is that we, we know the brain doesn't just make any decisions on its own. It makes decisions based on the totality of information that it's receiving from the environment. So we're constantly paying attention to the external environment, everything we see, hear, taste, smell, touch. We're constantly paying attention, our brains are, to the internal environment, where our body is in space, the chemical nature of what's going on, temperature, vibration, all these different things. Based on what's coming in, the brain integrates all of that and, and makes an output. And if we can change in a meaningful way those inputs, all of a sudden the brain can actually learn on its own to make better outputs. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. And that's part of how we can make change so quickly with our clients. One question that immediately comes to mind is actually from, I guess, an old USSR kind of training book. Super training, they reference sort of uh, being able to take the muscle beyond 100% through electro stim specifically. Is this the newbie and the new fit technology that you're using? Should theory even go one beyond that? Like, could this be used in a one rep max type situation where you're able to take the muscle beyond its theoretical maximum capacity? What they're doing, they're using an alternating current, which is like the, you know, virtually every elf, every other device out there. Mm -hmm. We're using a direct current. So there's a little bit of a difference in effect. We could do with ours by changing the frequency. We could do with ours what they're doing with theirs. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question, though. So that was actually... Uh, Dr. Kotz from Russia, he came over and presented that work in Canada. And that was when now Russian STEM became a thing. And when people over here in North America started to really get excited about the performance enhancing potential of the technology. So what they were doing was the first step in this type of direction. I think then we've taken the next several steps down the same road. What they were doing was using that alternating current device, which causes muscles to contract. And they were overloading the muscle, having it contract harder than it normally would on its own, 
and in the process, trying to teach the brain to back off on the governors in the same type of process that I'm describing here. So mm-hmm. if a muscle could only contract at, you know, 70% of its, of its max, and then the brain would limit it, or, you know, there's a mechanism called Golgi tendon organ is a, it's a, it's basically a, basically a force sensor inside of a muscle that when it gets to a, or inside of a tendon. So whenever the force gets to where, what it perceives to be the threshold of safety, where you know crosses over and could get dangerous, that mechanism will cause the muscle to shut down so that it does not contract any harder and does not pull the tendon off the bone. Okay. And so that, you know, of course, is a worthwhile mechanism to have. <laughs> we yeah. still want it there. Uh, so what they were doing was overloading the muscle, you know, 10 or 20% beyond what, it, what the person could consciously do as their max. And in the process, allowing the body to see that it could contract harder and that nothing bad happened and so teaching the body to try to reset the mechanisms around how it was limiting force production, trying to teach the body to permit higher levels of contraction, more tension, more force, more muscle activation, to get the body to allow that to happen without governing it. So instead of, you know, instead of 70%, it might let it get to 75 or 80%. That was you know, a meaningful step in, I think, in the right direction. The only issue with that and where, you know, where we've taken the next steps is that the alternating current signal is always causing muscles to contract. You're actually going to be having co-contraction where muscles on both sides of the joint are contracting to fight against each other. So the way they were using it, if you're just looking at pure absolute strength, and by that I mean you know, think of a power lifter who's, it doesn't matter if it takes them 10 seconds, they're going to try and lift 800 pounds. It can be slow. They can be grunting they're creating force from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of strength, it's okay. But that kind of strength does not serve an athlete well in a speed sport, you know, a team sport, in basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer. It doesn't serve them well in track and field because there the limiting factor is not strength, but it's the ability to relax opposing muscles so that they don't break movement. And so so the alternating current devices end up teaching people to move as if you were driving a car hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time. You're actually creating excessive tension and training the body to, to move less efficiently in most athletic settings. And so, so for a pure you know, powerlifting strength perspective, there's value in that. But then what we've done is been able to find ways to use direct current where instead of instead of causing muscles to shorten, we're actually promoting eccentric elongation of muscles. And that's one of the biggest differences in our technology compared to virtually everything else that's out there is training muscles to lengthen rather than shorten, training muscles to coordinate properly instead of fight against each other. And so there is, there's some overlap in what we do and what they do in that regard just for pure strength, but for the other traits and other movement qualities that we want, you know, coordination, speed, flexibility, range of motion, for those, then that's where if those are at all important, where the real value in our technology, where the improvements that we've made come in as being very, very important. Okay, so through this direct current, we're able to improve all of these different areas of what we call fitness or, or health, I guess. So the elongation example, just to bring that home for people, would be something like a tight hip, for instance, or maybe even mm-hmm. a... a problem with your quad shutting off would that be an example of elongation or do i have that wrong yeah uh, so where you said a tight hip absolutely the quad you know shutting off is more of a different type of thing but when you have a tight hip the excessive tension is usually there for a reason remember the brain as we talked about a little bit earlier the brain prioritizes survival so it's not just going to wake up one day and say oh gosh today i want to spend an extra few hundred calories keeping this muscle contracted all day quite the opposite. The brain's trying to conserve energy. And so it would only keep muscles excessively, you know, tight and short and contracted if there's a real reason for it. And so when your hip is tight, what's happening is your brain and your body are proactively contracting certain muscles to try to keep your hip safe because something else isn't working properly and your hip would otherwise be compromised and at risk of injury. So you're kind of holding on for dear life, so to speak, to protect that hip so it doesn't get injured. And so what we do in our process is we want to do two things. First, we want to find what isn't working right in the first place that's allowing that hip to become compromised and causing you to tighten up other things downstream. And then two, once we've gotten rid of that initial influence, then we want to teach you to relax the muscles that had tightened up 
And so we're actually working on both. So that's why in our system, when we go through our full process, we actually do some muscle testing first to try to identify what isn't working, what that upstream problem is, get muscles reactivated properly so that you have support and stability so that when we work on loosening up that tight hip, it can actually stick. Because what most people do is they say, oh gosh, my hip is tight. I want to get it massaged or I want to roll it out or I want to stretch it. And you know, it can loosen up a little bit temporarily, but it's going to tighten right back up again because there's still a reason that it's tight in the first place. Mm -hmm. We're trying to address both. We want to yeah, help you move better the thing that's tight and stuck and also get rid of the reason why it happened in the first place so that it, it will actually stay in that new and improved state. I want to talk a little bit about the device, the newbie, because for somebody who hasn't seen it, and we'll link to this in the show notes, which are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash newfit, that's N-E-U-F-I-T. Garrett, can we talk about what this device looks like and give people sort of a, a sense of what it looks like and how it operates? And if you don't mind, I'd also like you to just sort of go into detail about your process that you just described. So you set a muscle evaluation. How exactly does that work? Before we ever get on the machine, we do some muscle testing and it's similar to, you know, if people have ever done applied kinesiology or some more traditional physical therapists also muscle test. Is this like mus muscle activation technique at all? It's similar in the sense that we're testing and then we're doing manual techniques to activate. So there's, there's some overlap. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also, also, some differences. They, they usually work on, say, origin and insertion of the muscles. We may work on different reflex points. And then if that doesn't work, as we go through our hierarchy of, of where we work, you know, we'll end up working on some of the same places they do as well. So I think of ours as being very similar to, to muscle activation technique. So if people are familiar with that, I'd say theirs may go into a little depth in some of the smaller muscles. Ours is quicker and more efficient. Mm -hmm. And then by using the machine, we are able to help the results stick for longer. So I think that's the way to think about okay. those. But in, ter in terms of the process, will be similar in the sense that it will have a client lie down on the table. We'll have them hold up their leg, hold out their arm. We'll push in certain directions to challenge, cer challenge certain muscles. And we're just looking to see, asking the question, can this person actually turn on this muscle in the first place? If so great. They have a foundation upon which we can actually build something. And if not, gosh, that's a problem. You know, they're walking around and one of their shock absorbers isn't working. So they're going to be collapsing into certain areas and likely reinforcing the same problems that even if we do the great therapeutic session with them, they're going to go back out in the, in the world and collapse into the same areas, reinforce the same problems. And we're probably not going to be able to accumulate much progress. So then we'll do some manual work to get those muscles turned back on. Sometimes we'll have to do like nerve glides or nerve flossing drills or neuromechanic drills are sometimes called or different things to help get those muscles turned back on. And then once they're on, we, we know we have that foundation and then we can get the most bang for our buck with the machine. So when we get to the newbie, what the device is like is it looks kind of like a, a cross between a, a laptop and a DVD player and a, and a spaceship. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> laptop, DVD uh, player, and Death Star, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a machine that sits on a cart, you know, it's a footprint of about a foot by 12 inches by 12 inches, or what is that? 20 something centimeters by 20 something centimeters for your European audience. After we do the muscle testing and activation work, we go and we use the device and we do our diagnostic process there where we scan around on the body. And the way I like to describe it is that, you know, once we've done phase one, we know the muscles are capable of turning on in the first place in a safe and controlled environment with someone lying down on the table. But that doesn't mean that as soon as you go out and challenge yourself in the real world, whether it be anything from you know having a, a collision and a tackle in football to lifting weights to sprinting to picking up your child or you know sitting down in a car and lifting up your legs to get into the driver's seat whatever it is picking up a fork to your mouth to bring food in to eat any of these activities we're loading certain areas of the body and even if muscles are capable of working in that phase one part they still may shut down we still may have those governing mechanisms where we're going to be using things inappropriately. We're going to have compensation patterns. We're going to have excessive tension. We're going to have weakness in certain areas that may show up under under load, under challenge. And so when we do that scanning process, we're, we're scanning around on the body, looking for those same sorts of dysfunction I described earlier, scanning an electrode around, looking for where the body can accept the signal and things are working well, and then where the body fights against it. And that tells us where some of those higher level issues are with where the, the brain is governing the output where there's dysfunction, where there's either a deficit in coordination or strength or there's excessive tension. We're finding those, those sorts of things. And so the two phases we have found end up working very well together. And in many people, 
end up getting much greater results than either one would get individually. And so that, you know, that, that's our process. And then with the device, once we've run the diagnostic, we have electrodes on. And so people, you know, if you follow us on social media or see our website, there's a lot of pictures and videos of people doing different exercises with electrodes on. And it could be anything from just, you know, basic movements, lifting the arm or doing a, a lunge or a leg lift in the beginning or, or a simple joint mobility drill all the way through more challenging body weight movements and then even weightlifting movements or kettlebells or band work that people are doing with the machine on. So there's a whole progression and people have the electrodes on to try to help coax the body into working more efficiently, more appropriately while they're doing the movements. And the two there, again, also help everything accelerate faster and work better together. You mentioned a little bit about training. And when I saw the device in action, not just on myself, but others at PaleoFX, there are some people that are doing ab work on this. And there are people that were using it as a general workout, and it is a good workout. How often would you need to train on a device like this? And because it works directly with the nervous system, could you train more frequently? That's a very good question. And the answer depends on the context. So if we have an athlete who this is their livelihood, this is their profession, everything that they do depends on getting a few extra percentage points worth of performance, then the question is how much can we possibly do where we're always moving forward without diminishing returns or without, without moving backwards. And so there, part of the value in the machine is that we can get more work done because we can stimulate them to recover faster and more efficiently so we can get more volume in and continue to move forward faster towards their goal. And we can do something with, with them on the newbie every day, multiple times per day. And then for other people, the question is a little bit different. You know, For the busy executive, the question is, what's my minimum effective dose? How, how, li- how little can I do and still and still stay in shape and get results and have energy and feel good and do the things that I want to do. And so for those, for those people that we work with here and that we consult with around the country and around the world, the answer is, is a pretty compelling one because of how much the machine can amplify and intensify the effects of training because of how neurologically stimulating it is that allows us to get in much less time you know, in in a 20 or 30 minute session, get the equivalent benefit of being in the gym for a much longer period of time. And we have a lot of people who train here at our facility for two half hour sessions per week. And they make progress, they make improvements in body composition, as measured by DEXA scan or hydrostatic testing, they see the improvements in health and energy levels that they want to have. And, you know, they're able to in a very time efficient way, check off that box for the week that they got their workouts in they did what they needed to do for their bodies. And uh, some of them, that's all they do. Some of them like to play tennis or play basketball or, you know, do another, maybe another play golf, another activity on the weekend. And so they like that those workouts also help them feel better, move better, have less pain, have more flexibility and be able to perform better and more safely and more consistently in their recreational sports too. So we see, you know, different people enjoy it for different reasons. If somebody wanted to try this, where do you recommend them going? Obviously, we we can point them to your website, but where in the world can we find the newbie? As of the time of this recording, only in the United States, and we have on our on our website which is www.new.fit. So n e u dot fit not new but neu and no.com just dot fit it's a new dot fit uh, there's a locations tab at the top and you can click on there and that has the other businesses around the country in the u.s that are using our technology and thankfully that number is growing and we'll have more up there soon and i'm certainly optimistic that as as more people learn about this that that number of facilities out there will continue to grow and more people will want to offer this to their own clients. You know, the, the positive trends that we're seeing will continue. So hopefully that, yeah, that number will grow and it'll be even easier to find. Um, but for now, the answer is, yeah, we got to find someone who's, who's using it and, uh, and, and try it out there. We have, you know, I've talked to, I've talked to a few people internationally who are interested in, in buying them and that's, that's an option. 
uh, certainly an option, but it's most people want to try it out before they buy it. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because I'm hoping that somebody will be listening and bring this one to Amsterdam or at least a place close enough to me that I can use it. Before we get into kind of the final questions, I just want to say thank you because this is truly a, an incredible device. I've gone through electro, regular electro stim before. I've been a sort of a chiropractor user since I was 16. And this was profound in how quickly you were able to fix what was a powerlifting injury that was almost two months old. So thank you again. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I was able to, I was able to sleep very well, uh, that night, which was the first time in a long time. Now, I guess the final three questions and you and I could probably talk about this for hours, uh, the newbie that is, but the, the final three questions, what's your top tool or technology for reaching peak performance? You may be biased here. <laughs> well, let me first say, I know you said thank you to me, but rather than you're welcome, I should also be saying thank you to you for being open-minded and trying it out. And, uh, you know, it is, it's a different approach. And so I always am grateful to the people who are willing to come in with an open mind, even if there's a, you know, a healthy skepticism to come and try it out. So thank you for that. And thank you for having me on the show. Oh, thank you. And in terms of, you know, that question, my, my biggest trick for peak performance I will, I will say for me has been the newbie and I'm going to say that for a slightly different reason than what I've discussed so far, because for me now at this stage in my life, I'm one of those, you know, busy executive types who doesn't have nearly as much time to train. Whereas I used to train, you know, at least an hour a day, six or seven days a week and loved it. And that was a huge part of my life. And it wasn't so much just for the results as it was for the experience. And it was, it was a hobby and a passion and an experiment all rolled into one. Whereas now my mission in the world has changed and is clearer. And I'm really working tirelessly to get this get the word out about this technology, this approach, try and educate as many people as possible on how to do this and bring this into their businesses, try and reach as many people as possible to make as big of an impact as we can in the world and also maintain a healthy, fulfilling relationship with my family <laughs> and time, time is at a premium. And so for me, if I have 20 to 30 minutes, two or three times a week, it's amazing to be able to plug into the newbie and get such an effective dose of neurological stimulation where you, know, you can lift or do cardio and get some metabolic and some muscular effects. But for me, the neurological stimulation is so great because that ultimately, you know, when we, when we move at an intense level, when we're moving fast, when we're pushing ourselves in the gym, it's the neurological stimulation. It's all those signals to the brain that give us the things that we want. You know, from the, in the brain per, itself, we're getting more neurotransmitters, more BDNF, things like that. Oh, you the, just struck the, a good one with me. BDNF. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, also, we're, we're also getting more, you know, an upregulation of our metabolic rate. We're getting hormonal releases, all those things. And unless you push yourself to a, to a very high level, you miss out on that. And so most people don't push themselves enough in the gym, or I guess the other side is they push themselves too far and beat themselves down. Uh, but th this, because it's so neurologically stimulating, it allows me to take a 20 minute window and really maximize, get the most bang for my buck, what I'm able to do. So I can still maintain body composition and strength and I can be ready to go out and play golf or hockey when I want to and feel, feel good. And I have the energy to work for long days and sleep less than I ever did before. And a large part of that is because of those sessions that I get to have with the newbie. And so for me, when you, when you think about the neurological aspect of exercise, that that's what I feel is most important. And this tool allows me to tap into that and maximize the limited time that I have. And I feel very strongly about it. Before I go on to the next question, did the newbie help your golf swing by chance? Because I, I have a horrible golf swing and I'm just wondering if I can <laughs> train my muscles properly to keep my left arm straight. Well, the th I think the thing that would help my golf swing the most is actually being able to, to practice or play, uh, you know, more than, more than once or twice a year. Yeah. But I just, I got to play recently for the first time this year. So that, that was top of mind for me. So we, we can help improve the underlying movement qualities. We can help you know, create an environment for faster motor learning and definitely help accelerate progress in golf. And I have a few very high level amateur golfers here. I've talked to the trainers for a couple of professional golfers that hopefully will get uh, 
get them on this, but we have a few high level amateur golfers here that we've helped and, you know, they'll do things If they have a local tournament. They'll come in here first to loosen up and kind of prime their bodies and they'll go out and, and to a person, they'll all say, gosh, I, I got to do that before every round. I went out there. I felt so good. I felt so loose. I was so crisp and smooth. I didn't get tired at the end of 18. Like I normally do. I you know stuff like that. So there are ways we can help. Top trick you use for enhancing cognition or focus. For me, I'm torn between two. So I'm going to give you two. One is one is sleep. I, I mentioned in the answer to the last question, I'm able to, to get by with less, but only to a certain amount. If I go below my minimum threshold, you know, then my cognition definitely suffers. And I have a day or two where I almost feel like it's a wasted day because I'm just not firing on all cylinders. So for me, sleep is the ultimate cognitive enhancer. Uh, the other thing is focusing on things that I'm passionate about and excited about and interested in because no matter how good my brain's working or how good I'm feeling, if I'm trying to read about or talk about something I'm not interested in, I find that I kind of zone out. Oh yeah. But even if I'm, even if I'm not, not feeling that good, if I really get into something that I'm into, my body just finds the energy. And um, there's a great quote by Brendan Burchard. He says that a power plant doesn't have energy, but it generates energy. And so I find that to be true. If I'm doing something that I'm interested in or excited about, I'll rise to the occasion. My body will find the energy and I'll be able to focus and think at a high level and analyze or respond or, you know, do something productive because it's something I'm interested in. So the other tip I would say, you know, both sleep and really try to be diligent about focusing on and, and working in the areas that, that we're interested in working on. So all hopefully that there's something useful in there for the listeners. Before I ask the last question, because I keep thinking of questions when I'm talking to you, because I, I'm just generally interested in everything that you're doing. If you wanted to get more nerdy on the neuroscience aspect of this, do you have any books to recommend to people? Because I'm ready to load up my Amazon account right now. Uh, how did you <laughs> How did you start digging into this? Any books or, or resources resonate well with you? Yes, for sure. So I have, uh, I have a list of several that I share with our practitioners because they ask me the same question. You know, when they come <laughs> through our certification program and they see how excited about this and how deep we're able to go into neuroscience, and, but not just for the sake of you know, theory, but, but how practically it actually applies to helping people's lives also. You know, they get excited about it and they ask me for that. And so I share, I have a reading list of my top 10 that I'd be happy to share with you and we can put it in the show notes here. Oh. So I have, you know, some favorite books on physiology, on neuroscience, on homeostasis and allostasis, on different aspects of physiology and neurology, and then some on brain function, brain health. Um, so I'd be happy to share my, my top 10 with you. Some on strength and conditioning also, uh, be happy to, happy to share that with you. You just got me excited. Now I'm, <laughs> now I'm not going to be able to go to sleep. Uh, okay, uh, maybe that, all, yeah. You gotta read. I gotta read, read all ten books. I want a, I want a book report on my desk <laughs> next Tuesday. Load up the Modafinil. Actually, uh, <laughs> sorry, kids, don't actually do that. Uh, but, uh, okay, final question is uh, maybe it's on that top ten list. What's your favorite book on peak performance? You know, I'm I'm probably going to come at this at a little bit of a non traditional angle, piggybacking on my answer to the last question where. I think my biggest cognitive hack is focusing on the things that I'm excited about because I always perform better when I'm working in this space compared to anywhere else mm -hmm. um, for performance. Whereas most people probably come at it from uh, thinking about techniques or things like that. I'm going to, I'm going to recommend the book that has been most impactful on my life, which is called the way of the superior man by David data data is his last name. It's, yeah, D-E-I-D-A. Okay. And the reason I'm going to recommend that is because it's about, it's about business, relationship, spirituality, life. And it's, it's given me the freedom and confidence and clarity to really understand that what I'm doing is my mission in the world. It's helped me understand that it's okay to go after that with all the desire and tenacity that I have and can muster and could ever think to put towards that. That kind of belief and determination promotes courage. It promotes persistence. It promotes all of the qualities that I think we need 
in order to take on any any truly challenging task and to perform at the highest level consistently for years and years and years. It's this there has to be an underlying belief in what we're doing that it's bigger than just ourselves. That you know there's this shining light north star that's that we're moving towards that's big enough that it'll cause us to want to push through to get back up after we've been knocked down to push through adversity. And so that book, it did that for me. And so that's, that's why I'd recommend it. It's, uh, it's also, I read it, I read it for a second time with my wife before we were married, but so then girlfriend, now wife, we read it together. So it's also, don't let the name fool you. It's good, good for women too. Okay. So relationship builder, maybe I should pick this one up. I I, I have a feeling my Amazon account's going to take a hurting tonight. So uh, (laughs) Garrett, this is, this is absolutely epic. Thank you. Uh, Where can people find more about uh, new fit on social medias? We're definitely most active on the Instagram platform. And if you type in new fit, You'll likely find us. The handle is NewFit RFP for Rehab Fitness and Performance. That's N-E-U-F-I-T-R-F-P. And we are a little green logo, two-tone green logo with the N slash waveform looking thing. Um, so we're on there and we're sharing everything from client experiences to little glimpses into what people are doing, some meaningful quotes or educational moments. So we're most active on there. Definitely love communicating with people on that platform. Uh, we do have a, a Facebook page as well. Search new fit on Facebook and, um, there, and then our, our website as well. And it, there's a, there's a contact page on there. If people want to ask any questions, or you can email me directly. It was Garrett at new dot fit. Be happy to give out my personal email for your listeners. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, I'd love for, for people to you know join in on the social media you know, whether it be by comments or asking questions or letting us know what you like, letting us know what you don't like. Let's, let's have a conversation. I'm, I'm definitely, I love this work. I love talking about it and uh, I'm probably talking about it too much. You can cut me off now. No, come on. (laughs) Garrett, you and I can talk about this all, all night long. Uh, But you know, thank you again. This is absolutely epic. I look forward to getting that 10 book list and just absolutely destroying my credit card but uh the show notes for this one decoding superhuman.com slash new fit that's n-e-u-f-i-t garrett thank you again for taking the time uh i love your mission i love your machine and i look forward to seeing you know how we can get this to amsterdam but how we can get this around the world so thank you again thank you boomer it's an honor and a pleasure i really enjoyed it to all the superhumans listening have an epic day all right superhumans did you love that episode as much as i did Perhaps you're looking for that list of 10 resources that Garrett mentioned in the episode. Remember, the show notes are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash newfit, that's N-E-U-F-I-T. And if you have any comments on the episode, or if you just want to have Garrett back on to really share the wealth of information that he is, please email me at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. And one more favor to ask before you go. If you've enjoyed these episodes and you want me to continue bringing on amazing epic guests like Garrett, can you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, whatever your favorite listening device is, and give us a five-star rating? We've picked up a couple of five-star ratings lately, and I'm grateful to people like Justin who go on and just say how much they're enjoying the episodes because I try to keep it casual. I try to keep it more like a conversation. So again, any ratings are appreciated, particularly the five-star ones. And superhumans, I want you to have an absolutely epic day. Take care.